AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Every now and then, it is time to call on experience to try to figure out exactly what is happening. And that is exactly what we are doing this morning as lawmakers get back to the people's work of funding the government. And then it's time for this week's Farmer Forum. Live from the calm between the storms via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Colin Peterson from the Peterson Group. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Tim Barak and Mike Appert. Directly following the news, Margie Eckelkamp from The Scoop. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now, the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, we've got Colin Peterson coming on here. And I can't think – there's there's few people that I would rather have on to bring their experience and their understanding of how things are working and how things might work going forward than Colin. He, he saw it, uh, you know, just he was part of it for so long that we need to ask Colin about, okay, what is this delay in the farm bill? What does it really mean to the status of the bill? To the, to, to Is it losing importance? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the funding bills. I want to talk about the whole process and what it does to the um, to to the dysfunction that we have seen to date in in this Congress. So we've got a lot to talk about with uh, with Colin Peterson, and then boy oh boy, Tim Barak, Mike Appert from North Dakota. Tim is in Iowa ahead of the caucuses coming up on Monday. And uh, we've got uh, we've got some perspective that that I know Tim wants to share and and some ideas and what's being talked about in the state and the issues that are going to matter and and the process that's going to matter on Monday night. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Everything good? Twenty five degrees. Yeah. Oh, I thought it said twenty six. No, twenty five degrees. And uh, the sun is shining. It's quiet today. Very quiet today. Yeah, yeah, we're 20 you? degrees. It's overcast. Okay. The snow is still clinging to the trees. Yeah. Uh, and it is just a pause. We might get some light snow again tonight. Mm-hmm. And then as we as as we watch that storm develop and make its way in for Friday into Saturday, it looks like uh, the, the, the scariest thing that's coming with it is the, the drop in temperatures to yeah. sub-zero levels. So, yep. Something to pay real attention to. Let's get to the news. What do you got, buddy? Well, let's start with that National Weather Service uh, weather forecast where a major storm system will hammer the eastern U.S. with widespread heavy rain, strong winds, and severe thunderstorms into early Wednesday. Unsettled weather will continue in the west while dangerously cold temperatures plunge into the central U.S. Chip, that storm that hit first Kansas City and then then hit Sparkle City is on its way out to the east coast now, baby. Yeah, yeah, it is. And if you would, if you would like to dive deeper into the forecast and what is coming, we had a great conversation with John Hominuk from Empire Weather yesterday morning. 
Well, Chip, in less than two weeks, Congress may need to pass another short-term bill continuing resolution to prevent a partial government shutdown. This development could potentially force House Speaker Mike Johnson to go back on his vow to avoid such measures. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged the dwindling time left before the deadline and suggested Congress would have to enact a stopgap CR, that's a continuing uh, resolution, to keep the government funded while they continue working on the full year fiscal 2024 budget. I've had it with this story, Chip. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have, because that's where we're going to start with Colin Peterson and try to figure out what all this means. Well, if he can bring (laughs) some clarity, I'm all for it. Let's do that. Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, according to the Congressional Budget Office, the federal budget deficit totaled $509 billion in the first quarter of fiscal 2024. Chip, that's $87 billion more than the deficit recorded during the same period last fiscal year. A sharp increase in land values from year ago, which was primarily driven by strong commodity markets, has slowed. But those land values are proving resilient, as evidenced by Farmers National Company sale results logged in the past six months. The company notes buyer demand remains strong for good quality crop land across the Midwest, while the supply of land for sale remains limited. Senior VP Paul Shadegg said, quote, these factors further play into the dynamics of the supply-demand scenario and remain a large factor in supporting current values here in early 2024, Chip. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the whole global economy obviously is going to have a big impact on how things are, are going here in the U.S. and in the year ahead. Well, on that note, Chip, the World Bank warns about the global economy's poor growth prospects for 2024. According to World Bank's projections, the global economy is expected to expand by just 2.4%, down from 2.6% in the previous year. The slowdown is attributed to higher borrowing costs and geopolitical tensions. Meanwhile, Chinese growth is expected to slow to 4.5% this year from 5.2% in 2023. Outside the pandemic-induced downturn, that would be China's slowest expansion in 30 years. In other news, China urged the U.S. to abide by the One China Principle and stop arming Taiwan during two-day military talks held in Washington Jan 8 and 9. This according to a Chinese Defense Ministry statement. This is going to turn into a big mess for us, Davis, at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, finally here, Romania's Black Sea port of Constanta posted record grain exports in 23 thanks to a surge in shipments from Ukraine and ongoing European Union-funded infrastructure projects. Chip? All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's go to Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop for Farm Journal. You've got some news on another merger in ag retail. Hey, good morning, Chip. Good morning, everyone. Yes, we are bringing some fresh news from the ag retail industry as Series Solutions and Co-Alliance Farmer members have approved via a member vote that the two cooperatives will merge. The new entity as of March 1st will be known as Keystone Cooperative, and will be headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our uh, colleague here, Chip, at Farm Journal, Cheyenne Kramer, was on site yesterday for an interview with the new leaders of Keystone Cooperative, and that includes the new CEO, Kevin Still, who's currently the CEO of Co-Alliance, as well as Jeff Troike, currently the CEO of Series Solution, who will become Executive Vice President. Now, in all, Keystone Cooperative will have 195 locations offering agronomy, energy, grain, and swine and animal nutrition services and products. 
Their footprint will cover Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois and serving those farmers. They will employ more than 1,700 employees, and revenues are expected to exceed $3 billion annually. So big news in the ag retail and cooperative world, as well as for those farmers in that footprint. This is a trend that we have seen where ag cooperatives are merging together to form Bigger entities find synergies in working together and how they serve farmers, also to the point where there's been a lot of name changes. So cooperatives that had geographically uh, identified names have changed their name because their geographies expanded to no longer solely identify within that naming brand. So something to watch um, as we continue to see a bit of consolidation as well as concentration in cooperatives. $3 billion co-op right there, Davis. That's a monster, man. $3 billion. Wow. With a B. With a B. With a B. Yeah. So it is a big one. Thank you so much, Margie. Appreciate it. Uh, go to www.thedailyscoop.com for more information on that. Up next, we've got Colin Peterson, former chairman of the House Ag Committee, right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. Dysfunction in Congress. We talk about it quite a bit here on AgriTalk, and it's a, it's been a topic of discussion at farm meetings all winter. It will continue to be a topic of discussion as we try to figure out exactly what this all means for the funding of USDA for the farm bill going forward and uh, like i said at the open of the show sometimes we need to rely on experience to get a better understanding of what is going on and that is what we are doing right now with colin peterson former chairman of the house ag committee uh, chairman peterson welcome back to agritalk it's great to talk with you again how are you i'm good i'm good glad to be with you yeah yeah glad that you were here so Davis had a news item about how the congressional leaders from both parties are saying that another continuing resolution is going to be needed to get the spending bills done. This kicking the can down the road is frustrating a lot of voters. And when you look at some of the promises that House Speaker Johnson has made that he won't do a short-term CR, it, it's going to put him in a tough spot, isn't it? Yeah, it's just hard for me to see how this is going to work out. 
because they're back to the same exact place they were before they ousted Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, over this using a, a procedure where they call vacating the chair. Uh, so a couple of the Freedom Caucus people I heard about uh, yesterday and today have already threatened to bring a motion to vacate the chair if the speaker dares to work with the Democrats, basically. (laughs) And I don't see how they're going to get this done if they don't, uh, they don't work across the aisle and and have a bipartisan kind of a situation. I, I, you know, the Senate Democrat, the the white house is Democrat. Uh, there's no way that the Republicans, uh, who are not in the mainstream, basically, in the House, are going to be able to have things their way. But that's what they, you know, what some of these folks want, and what they seem to think they could do. And yeah. I don't know; it does not look uh, promising to me. Right. Well, if they go the route of a short-term continuing resolution, the the analysis that I've seen on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it will take more. Democrat votes than Republican votes to make that short-term CR happen, right? Well, that's what they're saying. Some of these yeah. Republicans are saying they won't vote for it. Well, that'll uh, be the end of Johnson. Well, you would you would think, although you know, we, it remains to be seen. If uh, I think that that is the kind of um, going to tell us where this thing is going to head, because if they if they allow that to happen, if they allow him to do a short-term CR using a majority Democrats, then maybe these guys have got it out of the system, you know, and uh, we can figure out some way to work together. I mean, uh, one of the, you know, so these, I'm not sure even if they get a CR uh, in place that there's going to be ability to come together on these appropriation bills, uh, you know, even if they have the extra time. Uh, I some people tell me they're not sure they can even pass a rule to put these appropriation bills on the floor. Uh, you know, so that's how dicey it is. You know, so yeah. all they might be able to do is is do a CR uh, going forward, uh, or do some overall big picture omnibus bill, uh, which I think is going to have to be bipartisan in nature. And one of the things that's been talked about is that maybe what they'll have to do in the House is uh, put it on suspension because they're not sure they can do a rule. Okay. What that means is that there has to be a two-thirds vote of the whole House yeah. to, to pass it. Uh, but if the, if the Democrats in the Senate are going to be on board and the president's on board, that's probably what it's going to take. You know, So how they get there, that's a good question. Right. <laughs> It'll be interesting right. to see what happens. Now, there's a difference between doing a short-term CR and a long-term CR because, as I understand it, a long-term CR, a year-long uh, continuing resolution, resolution, is going to mean some deep cuts to spending for things like defense, right? Well, they've they've put in place uh, this ap- apparatus that if they don't get it uh, worked out, there's going to be a 1% cut. You know, that was in the previous uh, bill. So that's one of the things. The other thing is driving some of this is you've got members in both parties that want to use the appropriation process to accomplish things that they would like to see. 
And uh, so that's why they resist having a long-term CR because they're still hoping that they can move these appropriation bills one by one. They're hoping that they can make uh, amendments to them and get them passed through the House and the Senate and signed and so forth. I don't see how that's going to happen, but you've got people out there that are trying to do that. And you've got appropriators that want, they want to be able to do their job. Yeah. And uh, they, they don't like the fact that they're going to just give up and do a CR, you know? So right. it's, there's a lot of <laughs> interesting dynamics here. Yep. So with the CR in the picture right now, though, even though some people don't want it, and the difficulty that lawmakers are facing passing all of the the appropriations bills, how much of a risk is a, is a partial government shutdown on the 19th? Well, I don't think it'll be the 19th. I think if there's a shutdown, it'll be February 2nd. Okay. Uh, you know, What's the risk there? Well, I think it's relatively high. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, when you look at the ag part of this, so we've got an extension of the farm bill through September yeah. 30th. Right. So what that means that the commodity programs, uh, crop insurance and all that kind of stuff, is authorized for this crop year. So, you know, the, the administration can administer them. Uh, there's nothing that has to happen in the appropriation bill to do that other than if the shutdown is such that it it lays off the uh, workers in the FSA office, mm-hmm. you know, then that could affect, uh, you know, the ability to run the farm programs. But, right. but you know, if you have a shutdown, it's not going to be for months. It's going to be for a couple of weeks. So okay. it would cause, uh, it would cause problems, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Okay. Okay. So live through it that that we can do, but yeah, what we've all done this that do? before. <laughs> yeah, we've done it before. What what does all of this do to the status of the farm bill? Is the bill losing importance? Because it looks like even we we've got the one year extension, and I think odds are climbing that there's going to be another extension before we actually get to a new bill, right? It could be. Uh, there was a poll done uh, by. I don't know if it was Politico or whatever it was that listed what the, what the concerns of farmers were, you know? Yeah. And, uh, the, the major things were the cost of inputs and yeah. the supply chain and that sort of thing. Regulations, uh, farm bill was 4%. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so that tells you something right there. And, yeah. and here's what's going on. Basically, uh, when we did the 18 bill, Mm-hmm. We put a provision in there that allowed for an increase in reference prices if 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 the uh, relationship between the reference price and the market price was in a certain range. And uh, so what happened is the uh, reference price on corn, wheat, and soybeans were in that zone, so they were raised fifteen percent. So corn went from three seventy to four. 10 or whatever it is. And I've soybeans, uh, all of them went up 15% because of that provision. Right. Uh, now that expires at the end of the year. So that's a one time increase. Hmm. Uh, the other crops in the South did not get that. Yeah. And the reason is because 
historically, they've had higher reference prices in relation to the marketplace than we've had on our crops here in the Midwest. Yeah. And so that, so what's complicating the farm bill right now is that dynamic more than anything else. Because gotcha. the Southerners want an increase in reference prices. Yep. And uh, Boozman has said he's not going to support a bill if he doesn't get an increase. Right. The problem is it costs $25 billion and there is no money for it. And I don't see where they get the money for it. So that's right. basically what stalled out the farm bill is because of, because of that. So they ended up having to extend it. Uh, if this stalemate stays in place and things don't change, uh, you probably would see another extension. So in the Midwest here, I mean, I'm talking to farmers and some of them are saying to me, you know, we might be better off to just keep the current law because we put this on the floor and try to change it. Yep. And we're going to have all these amendments coming in, from, yep. you know, people trying to get rid of the sugar program and yeah. trying to change the crop insurance uh, premium support, all these other things that are in danger. Uh, what we've got in the Midwest, we can live with. That's yeah. what people are telling me, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. We are out of time. Boy, we could talk for a long okay. time here yet. But uh, <laughs> let's stay in touch, and uh, yeah, we'll get you we back on here soon. Yeah, All right. We can do it again sometime. So thank you. Excellent. Colin Peterson, former chairman of the House Ag Committee. We got the Farmer Forum next. Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer. Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Beach. it feels like corn and wheat are kind of into a holding pattern here at the middle of the week. Yeah, pretty quiet, Chip. Uh, not yep. a lot going on, to be honest with you. A little bit of a weaker tone in the uh, winter wheat markets, but by little, I mean it's you know fractional to a uh, penny or two is all. Uh, spring wheat futures have turned uh, narrowly mixed here at uh, mid-morning, and uh, so has corn. And, and so they're just kind of holding up near unchanged as we wait on that barrage of reports from USDA on Friday morning. Yep. Soy complex, mostly negative numbers. Yeah, so Conab cut the uh, official Brazilian soybean crop estimate uh, by 4.9 million tons, so a major cut there, uh, but it was 155.3 million tons, and most of the private crop estimators are, are in that low 150 million ton range. And, and so, uh, you know, it just not providing any punch there, and then in addition to that, the uh, forecasts remain generally favorable across uh, most of uh, Brazil and Argentina. All right, take us over to the cattle complex. A mixed trade in live cattle, but some gains in feeders. Yeah, so trying to work to the upside, uh, you know, the uh, feeder cattle, um, I, I call moderate gains here at mid-morning and, and uh, you know, just kind of grinding uh, to the upside here. And uh, live cattle, the same type of thing. We have that, uh, you know, we had the major snowstorm. Uh, then we have those Arctic temps that are coming on the back end of it. And it'll be around for four or five, six days. And, and so, um, you know, some weather support there, uh, but also some uncertainty in terms of what it'll do to the cash cattle market and, and supplies on yeah. a near-term basis here. Yeah, hogs under some pressure. Yeah, a little bit, uh, just pulling yep. back. We've seen gains here recently, so probably not too concerning or, or too surprising on that front. All right, Brian. Thank you, buddy. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Glad that you're with us on this Wednesday morning. Good perspective there from Colin Peterson. Um, the, just a, a very practical way of looking at things. Davis, when he says, I just mm-hmm. have no idea how they're going to get all this done by the ninth yeah. with the appropriations bill, that says a ton. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. Uh, <laughs> talking about the 19th, well, probably more like, like February the 2nd. Yeah. Uh, we're at January 10 right now. Yeah. Tick-tock, tick-tock is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we think there's a plan to Do we? get these. Ap- <laughs> We've been told. Let's go with that. We've been told that there is a plan to get these appropriation bills done, but Mm -hmm. at what cost? That's the big question. At what cost? Uh, Let's talk about this more uh, in the Farmer Forum. We've got Tim Burak from Northeast Iowa on the line. How you doing, Tim? Doing well, Chip, as long as I'm inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad yet, but uh, it's going to get doggone nasty, isn't it? what they say yep yep mike appert up in north dakota how nasty is it up there mike well it's gonna get bad it's not terrible yet it's coming yeah do you even have any snow on the ground we are we're white yeah we're white yep okay just a little bit yeah yeah just a little bit we we got more than just a little bit yesterday and i think it's going to stick around for the rest of the winter i don't think there's any question now that uh, we've got these sub-zero temperatures coming in uh, for uh, for this weekend. Okay, lots of places that we could go, but I'm going to start with Mike here on, on Peterson's assessment of what is happening in Congress. Mike, it looks like Speaker Johnson is in kind of a no-win situation here, doesn't it? Uh, it's just been a tough political landscape for quite a while already. It's just yeah, it's too bad. Hopefully the farm program, the farm bill doesn't get caught in all the crossfire. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, that's what 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 uh, uh, Colin was was hinting at there at the end, wasn't it, Tim? That that some of the some some of the progress or efforts on the farm bill are at risk of being lost. 
Yeah, that's why they talked about extending it. To your question on Speaker Johnson, he's in a terrible position. The question will be, can he, will, will the few that have, that removed McCarthy and blocked all the other candidates take him out too, or will they allow him to stay as he as he tries to negotiate. I didn't hear anything that Colin said about the immigration piece in that negotiation. No. Did he say it? And I missed no. it. No, no, uh-uh. we didn't get to it. Uh, I had that on the list of things that I wanted to get to. Uh, but, but as, uh, as happens too many times, uh, there was, there was other perspective in there that we didn't get to. And I don't know how much of how much leverage the immigration issue has in all of this, uh, the appropriations talk, guys, I, it, I don't, Mike, I don't think they got the guts to take it up, the immigration issue and and what's happening at the border. Do you? Well, I don't know. You know, that's a big beast to tackle, right? So you got to be careful how you do that and where you do that. I think, yeah, that's that's a that's a large animal to tackle, and <laughs> obviously nobody's wanted to touch it for decades because here we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, isn't it, Tim? Well, yeah, but the immigration is the beast here in Iowa now with the caucuses. You know, it went from number three or four on the list last spring and summer to being number one on the list of issues that people are talking about today. And when you have all these candidates, presidential candidates coming through, it's usually the first or second question asked now about what's going to be done. The Biden administration has changed the debate on it. And now now what can be done to stop it? And to your point about, yes, maybe it doesn't apply to the budget negotiations until they get the funding for Ukraine yeah. and uh, Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are with uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas up with uh, impeachment charges and and and. Uh, uh, some hearings today on this, and and it is obviously a top priority for the American people because we, the only reason that they're bringing it up in in Congress and having the hearings is because when 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 congressmen go home or representatives go home, when senators go home, they're getting an earful about it, aren't they, Tim? They sure are. And, and for good reason, Chip. 12 million people have come in now through through the process that is not set up for them to come in. Yeah. Uh, we listen to New York City today. Yeah. They took the students out of the schools to house the immigrants because of the cold, the cold weather. Um, and I, that was done politically just to raise the visibility again, to put pressure on. So it's huge. It's not going away and maybe it doesn't go away until the next president. And then that is determined by who the next president is as well. Right. Right. Exactly. This is, it, it, it is, uh, an interesting time. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about the conversation that we had with uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, candidate for U.S. president, yesterday morning on the show. Uh, we have the five questions that we're asking all the candidates if, if they're willing to participate. The 
the the extra time question that I got to with uh, with Haley was about the ten percent the the idea from from former President Trump to put a ten percent tariff on on all imports from all countries and whether or not she would support such a such a strategy. And boy, she was quick with a no on that answer, Mike. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, she's probably right there. Restricting global trade, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I I you know, for agriculture that's that's not gonna be beneficial to the US if we start doing that. I think, you know, there's been a lot of industries that have benefited from the free trade and I feel like all the excess capacity of United States agriculture, it's, it's sure nice to have trading partners and I hate to see everybody start clamping down on all of that. I mean, I like protecting some U.S. industries, but at the same time, you know, we've we've had some really good global partners, you know, buying, buying a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of nice U.S. exports and grains that have really supported our industry, particularly the last couple of decades out of Southeast Asia and I. Yeah. I just hate, I just hate to, I kind of cringe to go down the road of, uh, nobody wants to trade with anybody anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. What are your thoughts there, Tim? Chip, uh, I thank you for asking her that question and I'm going to unload. <laughs> we need trade. Agriculture needs trade. It's, it's, it, it's the market determined price determining factor. We've got domestic livestock as an all consumption. We need to be able to export. Brazil is doing that. Your your question on Nikki, she answered it well. Trump was a disaster on trade. Now this 10% privilege tax that he's talking about would just build, compound our trade problems when we need to do more, not less. Biden has never negotiated a trade deal. He's the first president not to. And trade is being lost in the discussion here, at least in Iowa, on the caucuses. It's being asked, but it isn't being it isn't being promoted in a manner it needs to, for the benefit of agriculture. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great points. You know, we continue to hear from the administration that they are taking these trade missions out around the the world, um, I, but I think. For agriculture, Mike, the trade missions that are happening don't have the same impact, the same uh, influence as negotiating real trade agreements for the long term, do they? No, and it seems like we've got some strained relations here with China, and that that's you know a little disappointing when when you farm up in North Dakota and we have easy access to the Pacific Northwest for an export channel and. And, uh, you know, all of Southeast Asia, of course, you know, uses it. But China was such a powerhouse in that. And we really had a nice channel uh, there to uh, exports. And, it, you know, it saddens me in a way, you know, the way this thing has gone with China, that it all kind of got blown up and aggravated this way because they were really such a, a good trading partner with agriculture, particularly in this part of the country. Mm-hmm. And, uh yeah, it's not the same. You know, it's just not the same. And I don't think, you know, trade missions are really welcomed like they used to be. And yeah. I think the whole relationship has gotten soured now that we've defined each other as competitors. And um, yeah. so, yeah, it's unfortunate. 
Brazil is just obviously winning by default. You know, they've, um, they just win by default on this deal, and it's it's really kind of unfortunate for the U.S. farmer. Yeah, I've only got about 30 seconds left on this, Tim. But uh, Haley's the one that continues to bring up China as an issue, isn't she? They all bring up China as an okay. issue, Chip. And, and uh, to Mike's point, we need China as a customer. And how we get through this, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of ground left that we need to cover on this week's Farmer Forum. Tim Burrock, Northeast Iowa. Mike Appert up in North Dakota. Um, Big happenings in the state of Iowa on Monday, January 15th. We've got the caucuses happening. Let's start there when we come back and get Tim's take on what's happening with the caucuses. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. Welcome back to Ag. We're talking the Farmer Forum. Let's jump right back into it. We've got Tim Burrock, Northeast Iowa, Mike Appert up in North Dakota. Big happenings in the state of Iowa on Monday. It's caucus day, Tim. Uh, what's the buzz? What what's uh, what What is the chatter around the caucuses? Well, I'll try and lay it out, and I'll probably sound like I'm bashing some candidates and supporting others, and and uh, and that's probably true. <laughs> but the goal the goal is, if you're a Republican, is to get a new president. They, you know, you you don't like the Biden policies, immigration being the number one at the top of the list, and you can go through the other things, but that's just party affiliation and philosophy and how you believe. So as you go through the caucus, you got to figure out who can be elected, who's electable. You know, Trump, according to the polls, is leading, but the question is he electable and who would he be running against? So the theories are that Biden uh, and everything that I'm going to talk about that people are talking about is coming, is going to come out of the Democratic National Convention. And there's two slants of thinking. One, Biden is going in as the nominee and will come out as a nominee with Gavin Newsom as his vice president. Right. He will serve for a certain period of time that Biden and, and resign due to health reasons. Gavin Newsom becomes the new president. Uh, the Gavin, new- hey, hey, Gavin is- Newsom would then be anointed as the new president. 
that, however you want to call it. <laughs> I'm going to keep, I got to keep talking to you because you're going to say, well, you talk too much and we don't have enough <laughs> time. The Good. other line of thinking is the other line of thinking is that Michelle Obama will be the nominee coming out uh, or be the nominee coming out of the convention. And that is probably a more interesting nominee. And if Trump is the nominee, the real concern is that Trump cannot defeat her. He has a better chance to get against Biden and Newsom. There's a lot of, of suburban women that regardless of policy will not vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't, they didn't do it in 2020 and they're not going to do it again. And they just don't like some of the things. Other people fear the chaos that it's going to be a revenge presidency if he does get in and they're going to vote for him. And so they look at a, Michelle Obama as a really viable candidate. So then do we support Trump in the caucuses or do we go to someone else that maybe has a better chance against her. So those are the discussion points. You know, personally, Trump was just terrible on trade and ethanol. He did us no favors. And and uh, we've got to get, we've as we talked in this previous segment, we've got to get trade rolling again. Yep. Or we've got to find a new market, and which is, of course, we've talked about sustainable aviation field with that year. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Yep. So, hearing that download of information there, Mike, what do you th- what are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, hopefully, agriculture survives through it and can find a way to prosperity, no matter what happens. I guess. Yeah, that's all. That's my main concern. You know, I don't know what we can really do about it. Yeah, you know, the, the one another question that I did not get time to ask uh uh chairman peterson was who is going to be the democrat nominee coming out of the convention who will be on the ballot in november of 2024 for uh democrats uh for president um i i'm still not convinced that it's going to be uh joe biden uh president biden and I'm sure not convinced that Harris is going to be the the VP. I, I think that both of the scenarios that you laid out there, Tim, are something that people need to be thinking about as they go to caucus on, on Monday night here in Iowa. No question. No question. Um, carbon sequestration, lowering the carbon intensity score of the, the ethanol plants out there. Uh Mike, this is something that's been high on your priority list for quite some time, isn't it? Yeah, we're doing it at Red Trail Energy. You know, we started injecting in June, and so we dropped our CI score about 30 points. We're down in the mid to upper 20s now for a CI value. Uh, Got our pathway cleared into Canada and uh, Oregon. and So, yeah, that's going well. Uh, That's the direction the industry needs to go, I think, for the sustainable aviation fuel. You know, and uh, it shows a lot of promise, but uh, it's really been held up with some pipeline issues and stuff. I, it's it's kind of a head scratcher, but uh, we, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be beneficial for the industry. I mean, at least it has a path forward that way. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, it looks like the Summit Carbon Solutions pipeline plan has made is impressive progress. 
Um, what is it? Like almost 80% of the right-of-ways that are needed for the pipeline have been locked up now. Is, isn't that about right? That's Yeah, I've heard that too, Chip. Do you know how jealous I am of Mike when he can <laughs> talk about those carbon index scores? you know how much more money his plant can make than the plants in Iowa can today? Yeah. It's millions. It's millions because he is injecting his carbon. We need this pipeline so the Iowa plants can compete. We'll never be able to compete with him in sustainable aviation fuel. He's going to have all the money, and we're going to have the work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, make it, you make it sound good, but we can't, we can't produce enough SAF here. To, uh, to get it done, we need help to you know to make that to make that transition. We need we need volume, right? So so we need a, uh, we need a, the industry to kind of shift. Yeah. What a great point, Mike. You know what a great point that is. So the the, the, the critical mass necessary to create the SAF market. That's, yeah, that's so important. Yes. Yeah. There's no question about it. You guys were great today. Talked about some very important topics and important issues out there appreciate all you guys do thanks tim appreciate it man yep all right mike great stuff thanks buddy you bet thanks chip you bet talk to you later yep tim barack up in northeast iowa mike appert north dakota wow great conversation with the guys there we've got another great conversation coming your way this afternoon if you're raising cattle you're going to be you're going to want to be part of the conversation this afternoon. Scott Barlick from Coima Coima Barlick Trading. Tomorrow morning, we are talking with Growth Energy and Beef Demand with Glenn Tonzer.